Welcome to The Tish with Dina Weiss, a new mini-series for Tashma. I'm Rabbi Avi Killip. In this mini-series, Dina introduces us to five Hasidic masters. Today, I'm in the studio with Dina to talk about the Me'or Enaim. So, Dina, let's set the table. Start with, who wrote the Me'or Enaim? Okay, so the Me'or Enaim was written by Rabbi Menachem Nachem Tversky of Chernobyl. You might recognize Chernobyl from Chernobyl, that Chernobyl in Ukraine, that's mm-hmm. him. Um, and the last name Tversky, uh, he actually was the progenitor of a long line of Hasidic Rebbe's, many of whom are still active today. So if you hear the name Tversky connected to a Hasidic rabbi and you're asking themselves, huh, is that the grandchild of the Morenai? And the answer is, great. And I'll just ask, tell us one sentence about the concept of People being called by their books. He's the grandson of a book. What does that mean? He's the grandson of the Me'or Enaim. That is a fair question. This is a really just a Jewish convention that you're sort of known by what you produce. And it also is a little bit connected to a rabbinic lack of interest in history and more of an interest in like ideas and works. And so it's very common traditionally to refer to someone not by their name, but by what they have written. So tell us a little bit about the Me'or Enaim. What, what makes them distinctive? So for me, the most important idea of the Me'or Enaim is his commitment to the real fullest expression of the idea that the entire world is full of God's glory, Melo Chola Aretz Kabodo. And this idea manifests itself in a number of ways. Um, but one of them is it provides you with a window to see the entire world as godly. And therefore, the distinction that we have between material and spiritual, positive and negative, right, that is really about our perception and is not really true about the nature of the world. And when you look at the world through the Morayanayim's lenses, it just looks different. It just looks more approachable. It just looks more spiritually inviting. And that's why I love to learn the Morayanayim, because I appreciate the opportunity to, at least for a few moments, Right, step into that possibility that things are not actually bad if they seem bad. I need to reframe the way that I'm looking at them. That's beautiful. Well, thank you so much for taking us on this journey with you. Can't wait to get started. I'd like to bring you back to the revelation at Har Sinai to the level of excitement and the level of trepidation, to the sounds and also to the sights. And the sight that I want to focus on is the image of the mountain itself being on fire. Bo'er ba'ish adlev hashamayim, burning with fire up to the heart of heaven. And the heart of heaven can be read in a very quotidian way. We know what the heart of the sea is. We know what the heart of heaven is. It's the middle center. But the Morinayim sees and hears in this language of Lev Hashamayim, the heart of heaven, something that reflects and calls us to think about our own hearts. And he says, really what's burning here is not the mountain. Really what's burning here is 
the heart of the people. The heart of the people are burning towards heaven, and it's a reflection of their excitement, and it's a reflection of just how they are feeling in that moment. They are on fire. But the heart is not always on fire. The heart does have certain qualities that are always consistent, and one of them is just the heart's structure. And the Moranayim talks about the heart as having two sides. We know and he knows the heart has four chambers, but he divides it into two sides. The side that feels pulled to God, that wants to be obedient, that wants to be in relationship, and the side that's pulling away from God, the side that is not so sure, right, that the sacrifice is worthwhile, the side that wants to be independent, the side that wants to do whatever it wants, regardless of the consequences. And the Marinayim takes this image of the human heart being half towards God and half pulling away from God as the reason for the way that the Luchot, the way that the Torah itself was given to us, the structure of the Torah. He says you can look at the two Luchot, the two sides of the Torah, the physical sides of the Torah, as reflecting these two emotional or attitudinal elements of the human heart. There is one tablet that is representative of our desire to come closer to God. And there's one tablet that represents our reluctance, our tendency to move away from God. And we may have heard that the reason why there are two tablets is that they're neatly divided between positive and negative commandments or between interpersonal and godly commandments. But whenever you actually look at commandments, you can see that neither of those divisions is actually sufficient. So the Moranayim comes up with a new understanding that it's not about the content of what is on either tablet. It's actually just about the structure. The Torah is not only something that instructs us, it's also something that reflects us. And the Moranayim explains that the Torah looks the way that it does with its two sides, because our heart looks the way that it does with its two sides. He then takes this image and uses it to explain one of the most significant moments that the Torah itself ever experiences in its quote-unquote life, and that is Moshe's breaking of the tablets. Why does Moshe need to smash the tablets? The Moranayim answers, Moshe doesn't need to smash the tablets. He's not trying to accomplish anything by smashing the tablets. The reason why Moshe feels the need to smash the Luchot is because actually in their essence, the Luchot are already broken. And the Luchot are broken because our hearts were broken. And what he means by this is that after the sin of the golden calf, the relationship between God and the Jewish people was really on the rock. And B'nai Israel needed to break their own hearts in order to have the full contrition, the full realization of what they've done and how it has impacted God. And therefore, their hearts need to be broken. In order to do this complete tshuva, a person's heart needs to be broken. And so the luchot are broken because they are a reflection of the heart of the people at that time. The heart of the people is broken, and so the tablets are also broken.
There are two elements of this broken heart that I want to unpack a little bit further. This is where the Moranaim stops, with his instruction, but really his understanding that real tshuva, real repentance, real re- reconciliation requires us to be brokenhearted. But he doesn't go very deeply into why we need to be brokenhearted. A colleague of mine suggested that the reason why we, when we do tshuva, need to have a broken heart is that it's actually a reflection of our sensitivity to the person whom we've hurt. The person whom we've hurt is someone whose heart is broken. We need to recognize that. We need to feel so badly about that. And in that way, our own hearts will also be broken. When we fully understand and we fully identify with the pain and brokenheartedness of the person whom we have harmed, we will inevitably also be brokenhearted. It will end up really having an impact in how we feel and how we perceive the situation. True tshuva requires us to really identify with the pain and really experience the pain of the person we've harmed to the point where their broken heart becomes our broken heart. To me, the image of the broken heart is much more. When I think of the times in my life where I have said that I feel or where I privately feel brokenhearted, those are not moments where I just feel sad or disappointed or distressed. There's something about broken heart moments that are permanent, that are strong, and that are lasting. The moments that I classify as moments where I felt my heart was broken are moments that are in my past, but are also feelings and also life lessons that I'm carrying with me. And the image of the luchot being broken is also the image of these broken luchot never being repaired. That God could have said, Moses, you broke the tablets. I forgive the people. Let's put the tablets back together again. But instead, God says, actually, I want you to take those broken tablets, keep them broken, put them in the Aron, put them in the Ark, along with the new tablets that I'm going to give you, the intact tablets. And I think that this demand, right, that the broken tablets be carried with the people is also a reflection of the way that the Torah is like our hearts, because we are all carrying with us these moments of brokenheartedness, that even though we move on in a certain sense, we move past these traumatic moments, their impact is always with us. We can always recognize those trigger points for remembering this brokenheartedness. And the image of the people carrying with them through the desert, their broken hearts that are never fully put back together, I think is a lesson to us to recognize that everyone we know inside their our own, inside of themselves, they are carrying with them moments of brokenness that we may not have access to, that we may not see, but we know are nevertheless there. And it also gives us an opportunity to be a little soft on ourselves, right? To not require of ourselves that we totally put all of our broken pieces back together. It's okay, right? We can carry our brokenness with us. We can still be in pain over the things that have happened to us, over our losses, 
and still continue on and still make it to the promised land. This episode was produced by Sam Greenberg, Effie Unterman, and Jeremy Tabak. Thank you to David Chabinski for recording and editing this episode. Music for the Tish is from Hannah Raskin's debut album, Raza Capella, produced by Rising Song Records. Yeah, 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 yeah.